Hey, welcome to the Comic Syllabus Podcast, where we read widely and dig deep in the worlds of graphic novels and comics. I'm Paul, an educator and a comics enthusiast, and here today for another session of Comics Please, which is graphic novels and comics for parents, librarians, educators, and student enthusiasts. Um, if you are one of those or more, you're interested in these titles, we're going to talk about Unearthed, a Jessica Cruz story by Lilian Rivera and Steph C., we're going to talk about Marvel Stretched Thin, written by Nadia Shamas, with art by Nabi Ali. And we're going to talk about Blanca Flor, a folktale from Latin America, from Nadia Spiegelman and Sergio Garcia Sanchez. Um, after that, we'll have our polybag segment to talk about some new comics and shops this week that I've been reading. And then we'll talk about Substack and Substack comics. So thanks much, and let's dig deep. All right, thank you so much for joining us. We are part of multiversitycomics.com and you can go there for great stuff about comics, great, great, great coverage that is just constantly flowing because the industry never stands still and the medium always has new things going on. And you can bet the good folks at Multiversity are going to um, have some coverage of whatever it is going on, comics, TV, um, movies, interviews, news, all that kind of stuff. So check it out at Multiversity Comics. Um, we are also at comicsyllabus.substack.com where I really want to invite you, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, but you haven't checked us out at, Sub at Substack, that's where we're planning to live. And it's where I am doing a couple of things like releasing these podcasts and eventually um, hoping to move to not just every other week, but every week again uh, with the with the comic syllabus podcast uh, as soon as our paid supporters for the co the the uh, comic syllabus substack reach a certain threshold and uh, and we'll go back to to weekly podcasting about comics and the stuff that you love to read sorry you might have heard my daughter in the background there <laughs> um, also at the comic syllabus substack um, I've been writing about why the last man which is our long read project I'm a little bit behind on that but um, have been reading and um, you know um, we're also kind of following what's going on with the Substack comics phenomena um, and all the new creators that are jump jumping aboard that train the comics that are coming out and, and reviewing them and um, and also I'm going to be looking ahead at um, Scott Snyder's new comics that are coming through Comixology Originals um, including his collaborations with creators like Francis Manipal um, Francesco Francovia, and um, uh, of course, Greg Capullo. <laughs> I'll be reviewing all that stuff um, on the Comic Syllabus Substack, so I hope you can join join us there and, and check it out. All right. Well, this week, comics, please, because I am um, so excited about the things that we have available. One of the things that I do as a teacher is um, I teach middle school students, and I have the chance to expose them to to you know books that surprise them a lot of them think of themselves as non-readers but i just love handing students piles you know just putting piles of books on their desk and watching the sort of curiosity and then oftentimes the delight as they realize oh their favorite anime is in fact a manga that they might read or all oh, the superhero movies here's the stuff that's behind them or indeed like oh this um comic book that I was into is actually written by a YA author who also writes really great YA, you know, prose books. And so just kind of expanding their horizons as readers and the sort of, um, you know, flow in and flow out of 
um, literature, media, culture, arts that comics nowadays represents where, you know, when I was a kid, I think it was much more like cartoonists are cartoonists. And then there's everything else. Um, that kind of in and out flow um, is just like really exciting for me to expose uh, my students to and to see the enthusiasm that they greet um, this stuff with and, and, and in a way to re-identify themselves as readers um, because they, you know, they find themselves irresistibly reading, you know, stuff that um, stuff that they might be presented with in class and chat chattering about it and saying, hey, I want that one. Uh, and then fighting over <laughs> some of the books that I put out there for them. So that's really fun for me. And uh, that comes hand in hand with the kind of excitement about the kinds of offerings that are available to young people now as comics readers. And so Comics Please is uh, if there's a mission statement about this uh, regular segment that I want to do here at the Comics Syllabus Podcast. It's really keeping a pulse on this, uh, not only this growing um, field and subset. Um, in fact, you can already argue that it's grown, that in fact has overtaken the, um, you know, the, uh, the other markets of comics, um, the direct market or um, even uh, in, in some senses kind of coexists with the, the huge manga market. And, um, you know, lives side by side with the, you know, growing web comics or webtoons uh, comics reading public that's out there. Um, and so I want to kind of keep track of, keep tabs of some of the things that are out there and respect them for works in themselves, as well as think a little bit about what they represent about the, you know, the market of stuff. Um, I'm lucky enough that I get to teach in a school. I get to work with teachers. I get to train pre-service teachers. I, we get to talk about, you know, um, literature and YA lit and stuff like that. I get to work with cool librarians who are um, constantly curating, you know, what is offered um, to students. Um, I get to make comic strips with students, whether it's using the Pixton app or drawing on their own. Um, it, it's just really, really... Um, vibrant I feel like and very connected to the work that I do as a teacher which is ultimately yes about literacy but about the linking of literacy with um, empowerment the linking of literacy with um, becoming you know um, people who serve our communities and who who care for and sustain our cultures um, especially in a time of you know political division and a time of of climate crisis and a time of um you know, the perpetual setbacks for marginalized communities. It's, um, it's so moving for me that the work that I get to share with students um, in these comic books can speak to their struggles and their aspirations, to their sense of identity and their hopes for their communities. Um, and so <laughs> we come to this week's titles. Uh, three of them that I want to talk about, and then the three I want to sort of more, um, you know, point a, a gesture toward, point a finger toward that I, I either read or am reading and, you know, would like to review, but I just want to give sort of each thing its due uh, amount of time. So maybe I'll come back to those those other three titles at a future date to review them or talk more extensively about them. Uh, the, the three that I want to talk about today, as I mentioned before, are um, one that's from Marvel and Marvel's collaboration with Graphics, which is that imprint of Scholastic that is, um, you know, 
um, putting out some some of the the New York Times best-selling comics and graphic novels um, and you know much to thank for for say like bone for really kind of breaking open that market as well as others um, but uh, Marvel's collaboration with graphics has produced some really great comics I talked about the Miles Morales one um, a couple of weeks ago um, on the comic syllabus this one is written by Nadia Shamas and illustrated by Nabi H. Ali um, and it's called Miss Marvel Stretched Thin. Um, it is a fairly thin volume, and yet this neither the story nor the, um, I think, the uh, creativity in this book feel thin at all. It's actually just a very rich, very, very, very super fun um, and, uh, and really appealing book. I, I haven't given this to too many kids yet. I can't wait. <laughs> I really can't. Um, uh, Nadia Shamas is, is a Palestinian American, American writer um, from Brooklyn and has done a variety of comics works. Uh, Nabi Ali is a Tamil Muslim um, in here from from here in the West Coast. Um, and so to have, um, you know, Palestinian American and South Asian creators on this book um, is, I think, <laughs> maybe overdue. Um, in some ways, but also just such a natural fit. And what they do is they tell, they sort of in some senses re retell or reintroduce the characters that, you know, G. Willow Wilson, along with a variety of creators, um, uh, Alphona, for instance, and, and others, um, you know, made in the, in the Miss Marvel uh, mythos, which, you know, I think, I don't, I don't think Marvel can point to a creation in the last decade that has been as significant or as widely loved or, you know, soon to be Disney plus as Ms. Marvel. Um, but in in kind of putting it into a graphic novel form and all and all three of this, these that I'm going to talk about today, I should say, are in paperback and in very much um, like a kid bookshelf friendly size, you know, not the sort of single issue comic book, which is a weird you know, direct market only kind of thing, or because we don't have spinner racks anymore at the uh, grocery stores that <laughs> that uh, that we once used to. But I mean, these are the kind that um, fit well on a on a Scholastic book fair shelf, or at a library bookshelf, or display, um, or at a bookstore. And uh, and I think it's gonna you know it's gonna reach a lot of people. Um, and what's gonna make it hit, and what's gonna make it land. Maybe even better than the various, um, I guess, reproductions. You know, Marvel's been taking some of their more um, YA-friendly titles and repackaging them in these more digest form things that look more like the mangas or the or the um, or the kid or YA graphic novels that are out there. Um, but I, I think this is going to do even better than that because there is um, a rhythm to the storytelling that is much more, I think, familiar and friendly. To, to young readers in this. Um, and yet it's presenting a lot of things that, you know, those of us who are gigantic fans of Miss Marvel and have been reading Miss Marvel for years will find familiar. Uh, Miss Marvel Kamala Khan, the, the fangirl who's kind of obsessed with um, superheroes and, and fan fiction. Um, she, she becomes the moderator of a of a you know fan fiction board in this story there's miss marvel the sort of modern day um you know peter parker situation torn between responsibilities to the community as a superhero and 
their own aspirations and the great power and the great responsibility that comes with their great power and you know loyalty to their family and taking care of their family's demands and needs and then their school and then there's you know this and the friendships and this and that and, and all of it and um you know in a way when uh, miss marvel was introduced a decade ago i think those were not tropes that had run out but just hadn't been refreshed and revived with an identifiable character in a really long time and it's why miss marvel i think um hit so well and so now the question is can we tell this story in a way that um doesn't rely so much on the weird 22 issues 22 pages a month issues um but really embraces the graphic novel format size um, storytelling rhythms and so on and I think this book just does that so well I laughed out loud <laughs> at least once a page for the first few pages and then I was wrapped up in what is you know not an intimidatingly complex hero and villain and 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 you know insidious plot foiled by you know um uh, you know, hero who realizes something about themselves, you know, not, not one of those that is just too complicated, but something that really fits in a graphic novel of about 110 pages or so. And I think that the intimidating story arc um, rhythms of single issue comics can be hard for um, younger readers to follow. This one, I think I would hand to a anywhere from a third grader to a eighth grader, you know, um, because those rhythms are so well done. The art has a, a, a really lovely style that um, I imagine is done digitally, but it's um, the color just is vibrant and pops. Um, you know, the characters, you know, Miss Marvel just has so many um, emotional layers, you know, she's got this pride that can take over. She's got this, um, you know, this shame sometimes in front of her family that is not totally, uh, you know, I think not totally bad, if I can put it that way. You know, it's a kind of shame that I think especially folks from, from the East um, recognize as part of your love and obligation. Um, she's got this, um, you know, this this kind of a, a creativeness, creativity, um, as a storyteller, you know, and, and then and then always weaving her own stories for herself. Um, she deeply loves her nephew, who she's taken taking care of quite often in this uh, in this book, and yet uh, often overlooking her obligations, her responsibilities to this nephew, um, to the point that it it actually um, causes some of the problems with the villain in this story, which is a as as uh you know no surprise kind of an out of control ai situation uh very contemporary kind of concern but again for a book that is um that is you know targeted toward a uh, middle grade or ya audience or even a younger reader than that um this one just really does it in a in a in a nice rhythm um beautiful art fun story um some laugh out loud jokes i enjoyed reading this with my kid um, who's now 10 and this is kind of like a breezy quick read for for her, but we just had a lot of fun reading it. So, um, yeah, I just have to highly recommend Miss Marvel Stretch Thin um, by Nadia Shamas and, and Nabi Ali for really kind of any audience. I think even um, and my daughter recently reread the whole I have the five hard five volumes of the hardcover, 
you know, deluxe collections that of, of you know, most of the volumes of Miss Marvel until the latest one. And she recently just devoured all that on her own. So she's got a tried and true knowledge of these characters, you know, Bruno and Nakia and, and you know, Ami and, you know, the whole family and so on. And, um, and yet, um, I think she enjoyed this as like, okay, this is actually entry level Miss Marvel. It's got a lot of the good things I like about it, but in a condensed package with some beautiful art. So, um, so she was into it and, and so am I. I think it's a really good one. Um, by the way, the pals, the superhero pals that Miss Marvel has in this book, again, introduced much earlier and kind of part of the fun package, are Miles Morales and Squirrel Girl. I mean, what else needs to be said? <laughs> Those three characters, Miles, uh, Kamala, and um, Doreen, will save us all. I think that's pretty much, you know, that's pretty much hands down um, impossible to argue against. So. Anyway, highly recommend this Marvel stretched thin. Um, turning from Marvel to DC, um, the other title that I read, I think is so. This is a this is in DC's line, which you know they had a bunch of names for them, and now they've just sort of consolidated them under DC graphic novels. But this is a DC graphic novel for young adults, and I think what's interesting about what DC has done is a little bit less of a focus on kid friendly graphic novels, but everything from, you know, the the Tamaki and Pew Harley Quinn book to um, to the line of books that Kami Garcia has been doing, I forget the artist, um, and, uh, and and just all, all kinds of stuff that they've been doing. Have, they've really been hitting, you know, they have stuff like the Gustavo Duarte Justice League thing, but they also have been doing a lot of things that are truly, truly for YA audiences, and by that I mean it's it's really more for for teenage readers, um, with some hard hitting reality, um, some light swears, <laughs> and, and uh, but really kind of um, mature issues in the sense that they are ones that do not um, talk down to adolescents who indeed face real things and also need um, very real pictures of what it means to have agency or to to make hard choices or uh, what sacrifices you know we know we have to make in the reality of the world and so i i kind of say that as as context for lilium rivera and steph c's unearthed a jessica cruz story this one a dc graphic novel for young adults um and uh oh man i, I as much as i was hard-selling Miss Marvel stretch thin because of its accessibility to various audiences. I actually think that um, Unearthed the Jessica Cruz story is doing something more original, more rich, more unique, um, and um, and really irresistible to me. Working with um, adolescents and middle school and high school students, as I do, um, while Miss Marvel may be a fun read for me to hand to a reader, I feel like Unearthed, a Jessica Cruz story, is what I want to give to my whole class of adolescents. It's written by Lilian Rivera, who has um, written a, a number of young adult novels, including The Education of Margot Sanchez, which is what I know them best for, for um, as well as um, some other things, and, and has also written journalistically um, and as an essayist. Um, and is illustrated by an artist I, I was not familiar with. Um, Steph C is um, what she goes by, um, believe uh, she pronouns, and is based in, in Mexico. And 
you know, I I think the art in this was struck me as not um, not very typical of superhero stories. And this is not a typical superhero story. In fact, this could very much pass for not a superhero story at all in the typical sense. The, though I think the heroics and some of the the sort of um, you know rhythms of the large story can be felt as a superhero story. So I wouldn't want to say it's not a superhero story. It's just not filled with the trappings of Green Lantern, <laughs> um, which is, of course, where Jessica Cruz comes from as a character. Um, but then that's been the case for a lot of these DC graphic novels for young adults. I think that they've given the creators a lot of freedom to not have to tell traditional superhero stories. And in fact, to adapt these characters to be much more um, relatable to uh, to any young adult audience rather than, say, to a superhero fan. Um, I'm thinking, of course, of Min Lei's um, Green Lantern Legacy as well, which, you know, created a new Green Lantern. And in fact, that character's grandmother, I loved that book. Um, and I think it, that was targeted toward a slightly younger audience and hew, hewed a little more closely to the actual Green Lantern mythos. This one, Jessica Cruz um, could have nothing to do at all with anything about Green Lantern. Instead, it really frames, presents um, Jessica as um, the daughter of um, undocumented uh, parents, uh, who, uh, parents who are undocumented immigrants, and um, herself a DACA recipient, um, high school student living in a town where um, the current candidate for mayor is campaigning, though that that um, that candidate is, you know, herself Hispanic or Latina, is campaigning on an anti-immigrant or anti-undocumented immigrant platform of, you know, making the city safe by cleaning up the streets, quote unquote. Um, and so there's a there's an environment of um, anti-immigrant sentiment and uh, and the presence, the f terrifying presence of, of ICE sort of ripping people from their homes and livelihoods and and um, and ICE actions pursuing people even onto school campuses, uh, which is, of course, something that, you know, straight out of the headlines and the realities of our world. And in the midst of this, Jessica is going to school, has friends, works at a museum, um, and um, in all the ways that are both um, tariff horrible and also um, and also in, in some ways can have a, a redemptive purpose as it does here, the museum has appropriated um, some some uh, you know some sort of gods from Aztec temples that are now living in the Coast City Museum where Jessica volunteers, um, and it so it allows Jessica you know, there in Coast City to have this super, um, like, astoundingly illustrated to me um, with just this amazing use of color and um, something super deep and, and, and just very affecting about um, this, the art, um, and particularly the color choices. These encounters with um, these Aztec, uh, you know, deities um, including, I'm going to try, and I, and I will, I will surely fail. Um, Chalchutiklu. Um, I botched that completely. <laughs> Aztec gods, um, and forgive me. I mean no disrespect um, by my failed attempt. Um, Aztec gods who represent um, 
these various, I think, you know, emotional ranges, you know, and you know that factors in to any Green Lantern story, and also, you know, routes of agency. And I think it's so important what um, Rivera and Steph C do with those gods in that, uh, I remember that when I was a kid, um, and obviously this is an entirely different um, spiritual and religious framework. When I was a kid, my parents took me to a Buddhist temple and there were various um, Buddhist uh, deities and, you know, we were sort of showing respect to them. And I pointed to one who looked one kind of way and I'd seen around and I said, that's the bad guy, right? And I pointed to another one and I said, that's the good guy. And my dad <laughs> rightfully <laughs> smacked me on the head and made me, um, you know, sort of bow in obeisance to the God who I disrespected by calling him the bad guy. What I was really doing is sort of playing into all of the visual stereotypes that I'd learned from comic books that framed one deity as somehow bad while the other was somehow good. And I think in the same way or in a similar way, there is, you know, there are what might seem like contradicting or opposing impulses that are guided by these gods, but they are both or they are, you know, variously necessary in, um, in I think, providing Jessica a spiritual connection with a sense of both rage and of hope, um, a sense of determination and persistence and of, you know, outrage, uh, you know, and anger at, um, at you know, the, the, um, the situation which plays out, which is that um, as the story piece is kind of, you can tell this is where it's going, um, her family members are detained by ICE. And so there's, um, you know, there's the realities of being an undocumented youth and then your friend's not understanding that. There is what you do and how much you take action and put yourself at risk or make choices for your family or, or, or make the choice that they want you to make for yourself um, as a young person. Um, there's, I think, you know, I mean, I think one of the, the struggles that I had with um, Kamala Khan, to be honest, is that so often it was pitted in this very, um, I guess, you know, not without basis and not without a reality, but, but too often depicted this way of... Um, I guess of immigrant families where there's like a generation gap and it's always like, oh, the kid pitted against um, mama and papa. And of course they love each other ultimately and they, they're proud of their culture. But, you know, essentially being Americanized means you, you resist or you're uncomfortable with the, the, you know, strictures of your very traditional family. And, and again, not that that doesn't have a reality that's um, reflected in our lives as immigrants, if you can, if you can even generalize that much. Um, but more that that story becomes really tired and it starts to become like, oh, that's every immigrant's situation. They're sort of secretly ashamed uh, or publicly ashamed of their family's culture. And, you know, I think in Unearth the Jessica Cruz story, that's not the narrative. And that's so good, you know, because we're not <laughs> ashamed. We're, we're, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, there, there are many dimensions of our lives where we have already made the commitment that we will identify with our families, sometimes even in spite of what they want 
in, in, in terms of our success, in terms of our, you know, um, assimilation or our fitting in or our, you know, making it in America. And um, Jessica is sincerely torn, not torn about whether or not she's going to be committed to her family, but just what does that mean? What's what's the ethical action at this at this point? Um, and all of that in Steph sees uh, art, which I would say, you know, there's a there's a way where, you know, um, they've really dispensed with some comics. They're not trying to look like all the other comics, you know. The, instead, the, uh, there's an utterly original style that, um, you know, I could be wrong, but I think owes just as much to um, other forms of Mexican art as to comics art. And, um, you know, every character in every shot is basically a three-quarters face. <laughs> but you, you don't need more than that. The emotional range is in the pitch of the color, is in the, um, you know, super vibrant way that, um, you know, scenes are set with very, very deep um, kind of palettes. And, um, and, you know, there's just when there's when there's meant to be joy and exuberance and love, it's so patently there on the page. When there's meant to be um, fear and tension, it's just um, drawn so well. Um, you know, there are backgrounds enough to make it feel, to make this coast city feel solid as a place, um, identifiable with cultural markers, and yet there's not uh, any wasted, you know, um, energy on unnecessary background detail. Instead, the color can um, serve as the backdrop, the emotional temperature of the scene so often and you know and and then and then what's kind of nice is if you've read jessica cruz green lantern books this is very much the character you know tempestuous um deeply deeply loyal um hopeful uh always wrestling though with with kind of um you know with with wanting so much to save uh her people and then and then wrestling with the feelings that come with that. And, and, that, and that's, you know, that's the character in the best of their past comics appearances. And that's the character here. Um, but I've never seen Jessica written and drawn like this. And I've never felt them to be more, never felt her to be more identifi identifiable than this book. Um, I am excited to, to give this to my students to read. I don't think they will have to be superhero um, uh, affiliated at all to, um, to, to really be into this book. Um, it's, it's pretty somber, I'd say. It doesn't have the humor and the lightness that Ms. Marvel's Stretched Thin does. I don't know why. I'm just comparing them because I'm holding them both right now in my hands. Um, but it's just a really great piece of comics work. One more thing about Steph C's style, you know, <laughs> I didn't mean to be um, negging the art. It's um, it's actually very, very good. And I would say that, you know, an interesting thing is that the characters are drawn with huge hands <laughs> in this almost, and, you know, these kind of angular uh, blocky bodies in the way that I actually most want to draw. If I could draw, I would want to draw like Steph C because... That I think that there's um, something that just just mm, you know kind of sits proudly in a kind of mix between again the a comics tradition and you know 
other traditional forms of art that um, that just this is becomes a beautiful synthesis of those artistic notes uh, and then the renditions of the gods that um, Jessica encounters in the museum again um, are so good and they they show the the kind of visual range that Stefsi could display um, but uh, you know holds it back holds it back sometimes to to let things boil um, underneath and uh, I think that's just so good so unearthed a Jessica Cruz story high high highly recommended um, finally we come to our third title which is from Tune Books Tune Books has been um, under the editorial ship I believe of Nadja Spiegelman um, been doing an assortment a variety of comics for the youngest or the most emerging uh, of readers and you know really leveled at at this very accessible level for the earliest readers i mean these are comics some of them that you can read um with with your infants um as these those kind of beginning reader books and all through those early stages um this one however is probably for a slightly older audience although again like where I'm gonna revel in te in uh, in reading Blanca Flor with my students, is with I teach um, what are called newcomers or English language development students or English language learners, and many of them um, very recent immigrants to the, to the U.S. You know, within half a year or a year or two years um, in the country, and uh, and certainly still learning English, and yet you know they are, you know, fourteen years old so they have the maturity and really the and really actually a hunger for meaning and often uh, often a kind of like you know the real maturity of having lived through a lot of things but their reading is still uh, in english at at an emerging level and so it's always a challenge of not infantilizing them with texts that lack you know depth and substance um but still have the English at such a you know a, such a level that they can they can kind of flow easily into it. Um, anyway, I think Blanca Flor is going to be one of those texts. It is a representation. It's like a modern retelling um, written by Nadja Spiegelman um, with art by Sergio Garcia Sanchez, who I didn't know about before, but I believe is a um, is a, a, a Spanish artist, um, a renowned Spanish artist from from Spain. <laughs> um, it says that uh, Garcia Sanchez is a professor of comics in Angoulême and at the University of Granada in Spain, which sounds awesome. I love this art. Um, it's a retelling of folk tales, um, and there's an introduction by F. Isabel Campoy, who has um, written some introductions in, in some of these books as well, along with Alma Flor Eda, who's actually a, um, a sort of educator who, I, who I've read and, and, and known about um, through education work and particularly their kind of association with Paulo Freire. Anyway, this is a folktale. It says a folktale from Latin America, but that introduction acknowledges that many of these folk stories are a blend of the sort of colonialist, um, you know, tales that hail from Spain and then in a way influenced, reimagined with encounter with Maya or Aztec or Inca or other um, indigenous cultures and um, they be they've become this sort of like you know these mestizo stories cuentos fairy tales um, that um, 
you know, that are, are very consistent with what Latin America is. And Blanca Flor is, let's see, how many pages? It's a, it's a, it's a more of a magazine shape and size than some of the other ones, which are, you know, just these different shapes, which are, which I love. They're great. And, uh, and so this one is more like the shape and size of if you read The White Snake by Ben Adler from um, Toon Books or even the um, uh, Yvonne Brunetti um, uh, comics, Easy as ABC. It's, it's that size. And it's about 45 pages, maybe 40 pages of story. Um, and it tells a, uh, a folktale, which, you know, I'm not, I wasn't familiar with this one, but I'm certainly familiar with these types of folktales um, about Blanca Flor, who is sort of the daughter of a, of a you know, who is, is sort of a princess, but sort of the daughter of an ogre. And, and who um, helps along a prince who is a little overinflated in his self-confidence to actually, uh, you know, overcome the, uh, the trials that her father, the ogre, puts him through to win her hand. Um, and really, it, it becomes, you know, what folktales are, are, you know, do all these things in, in our imaginations. And, and it really becomes a story that um that demonstrates the often invisibilized labor that um women and girls often do in upholding the kind of social norms that we that we live in and in sometimes in in sort of resisting the way that those norms would invisibilize someone and uh and 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 enacting exerting agency and oh you know all that is a lot for for me to say for a folktale which, which really is about like using some magical powers to make sure that the prince can um not drown <laughs> or something like that um but um all of this could be uh could be no fun um but it's just very um i guess it extravagantly illustrated um and then and and told in a really again a playful fashion the way that these folk tales should be um which means which is not to say that it's without it's kind of like a, analogous um meaning or not to say that it's not without like a kind of heaviness that you can take from contemplating and in fact even toward the end of the story you know, I, I wonder a little bit about these folks. Sometimes when we, you know, like uh, even the grim fairy tales and you really kind of get into the original um, elements of the story and it's pretty, pretty uh, tr troubling. <laughs> Do I want my kids like hearing stories about people being eaten or committing suicide or whatever? But that's all here. That's all here. You know, and that's part of what folk stories do and so you know reader beware but um certainly it's um it's the kind of story that we've always used to weave the imaginations of our children for for better or for worse but i think in ways that are about waves that culture are conveyed um necessary you you can't shy from this and if we if if we don't do it consciously then it, it is done um by other storytellers and so Blanca Flor, the hero with secret powers, a folktale from Latin America. Um, like I said, it's going to be something that I'm going to read um, with my newcomer immigrant students um, because the story has lots of layered meaning, um, but it's all written and drawn in such an um, approachable way. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, um, I will be curious if my students, 
you know, 90% of whom hail from Latin America, um, Central America, or Mexico, um, will be able to identify aspects of the story or um, versions of the story from their own upbringing. Um, yeah, it's a good one. So three good ones this, this week. Um, I want to make mention, and I'll put these in the show notes as well, of a couple other books that I've been reading. Um, sorry if you're hearing a vacuum cleaner in the background. That's just life at home here. Um, one of them is um, is the third book in the series of books that are written by Shannon Hale. Again, another um, really prolific and, and, and cool kids book, YA book author, Shannon Hale, um, and drawn by Lee Wen Pham who is just one of my favorite artists out there, period. Um, but uh, best friends, real friends, best friends, and then now we have friends forever. Um, eighth grade, it's complicated, is the little sort of, you know, tagline on the cover. Um, but it con- kind of continues with what has been Hale's autobiographical stories of when she was a kid. Um, and Lee Wen's fam art just um, carries it off so well. Um, I read most of this. Uh, my daughter read all of it, and uh, and I'd love to talk about it. Um, another one that's a new book from some new creators is called City of Dragons. This one from Scholastic as well. Um, City of Dragons, The Awakening Storm by um, Jaimal Yogis and Vivian Trong. Uh, forgive me if I mispronounced um, that name. I believe Trong is the artist and Yogis is the, Yogis is the writer. Could be wrong about that. Um, but this is a story about a um, an Asian American kid who goes back to Hong Kong, um, which is where her father, who's passed away, um, you know, hails from, and finds a dragon. <laughs> Starts to raise and be with a, a little dragon. This one I've also started. Love the art. Um, very fun. Uh, very cool book. And I just haven't had a chance to finish it, but I'd love to, to talk about it at some point and how it, how it goes for me. And finally, the last thing that I just have to recommend and I just have to mention is Yatsuba. Um, and if you are a listener of the show, or if you are Seth Hani, the, the, uh, <laughs> the creator and artist and, um, and just all-around awesome person and critic who first told me about Yatsuba... You know that this um, series um, by Azuma, uh, I think it's Kirohito Azuma, um, is one of my favorite all-time comics in all categories. Sweet, funny, hilariously funny, like laugh-out-loud funny. And um, has been serializing um, Yatsuba and, is what it's called, um, Yatsuba ampersand exclamation point. So kind of weirdly stylized, but if you just Google Y-O-T, S-U-B-A, you'll find, you'll find Yatsuba. Anyway, if you don't know Yatsuba, you are missing out. Um, if you do know, then um, Yen Press has released the latest volume of the Yatsuba chapters. It's volume 15. Um, got it the first day I could. <laughs> Read it digitally because I couldn't wait for it. Um, and then also got it physically and my daughter and I read it. It was fun. It was funny. It was sweet. It was cute. It was hilarious. I bawled like a little like a like a little kid at one part you'll know what I'm talking about um for me as a dad to read it and um yeah I love Yatsuba hey I'd love to talk about that too anyway those are the things that are kind of um on my piles and my stacks and um but thanks for listening to comics please let me know if there are other things that you think I should you know check out um I hope this is helpful for you in 
curating your library collection or in helping you think about some books for your classroom and reading with your, you know, kids, your nieces and nephews and um, non-binary kids and enjoy, okay? Thanks for hanging out with Comics Please. Uh, stick around, we'll come back with Polybagged and Substack Comics. Hey, let's do the polybagged segment. Um, this is where I talk about new comics that have been in shops this past couple weeks <laughs> that I have been picking up or reading. Um, and uh, and I'll do three a week for the last three weeks because it's been a minute since we've done this. Um, so a, a few weeks back, let's jump back three weeks to September 14th, 15th. 14th, 15th. Um, three titles that I picked up is one uh, is Seven Secrets, number 12. And if you haven't been checking out Seven Secrets, it's a Boom Studios book written by Tom Taylor with art by um, Danielle De Nicuolo. And um, started off with a very, very cool, splashy premise. And uh, De Nicuolo's art is super, super good. Um, if you are um, a fan of the sort of Euro um, anime fusion style that you see um, from... Um, uh, you know, like um, Simone de Leo or something like that. Um, yeah, the, this is cool. Um, it's about a sort of secret society of super hyper-trained um, youngsters and oldsters who, whose job is to take care of seven secrets or seven suitcases that contain secrets um, with immense power. Um, and it's And, you know, our main protagonist is the child of two of these who never got to know them as their parents because you uh you, you devote your life to this um task and you don't get to be a parent anyway um the the 12th issue is a wrap-up of this book and um i think it's the end um or maybe the end of this run um maybe it comes back um i have not read issue 12 but i have been rereading the whole series so that i can take it in up to issue 12 and uh you know i've gotten back through seven or eight issues of it and um and yeah it stays good it gets a little funky in the second arc and gets a little mystical and and all that stuff but i just really do enjoy the art um and there's a lot it seems like uh you know tom taylor's just you know man raconteur knows how to tell a good story so seven secrets um seems like a lot of fun picked up issue 12 so that i can have all those babies ready for me to go <laughs> that's going to be a theme this week in particular the week of december september 14th 15th week i was really out of commission and, and really trying to play catch up another thing that i've been trying to play catch up with and i have the f all five issues of this uh, and i think this is the final issue is the mighty valkyries number five uh written by um jason aaron and torin gronbach and with art by uh, matea de Julius. um De Ulis is the artist that I'll talk about later collaborating with Kelly Thompson on um, one of the Substack comics that's coming out from 1979 semifinalist Kel Kelly Thompson's uh, Substack site. But anyway, the um, this Mighty Valkyries series has been intriguing to me because that part of the Thor world being fleshed out and Aaron co collaborating with Grombeck 
Um, and then this art has um, has really impressed me. And mostly from flipping through, I haven't dug deep into the story yet, but I'm kind of excited to catch up on all five now issues of the Mighty Valkyries that I have to read that. And then the last one, which I'm also in a catch-up project to be able to make sense of, is that week I Am Batman number one came out. Now, um, John Ridley's been writing a whole lot of stuff at DC, including that other history of the DC universe, and I have sort of the hardback collection of the next Batman stuff, even though I have, I think, a few even single issues, and also it's been available digitally. So this whole thing with Jace Fox, uh, you know, Lucius Fox is one of, uh, well, both of his sons are involved in the story, I believe. Sort of um, taking on a future state Batman mantle is um, just has been pretty cool of what I've read. Uh, I Am Batman number one, uh, which follows a zero issue, is... Uh, with has art by Olivia Coy Pell, which is always a draw for me. Um, and then John Ridley's been doing some really cool stuff, um, but I, I still got to get caught up on it. So those are those are three things from three weeks ago that I'm still playing catch up to. Um, but things I did read <laughs> from the following week, um, from September 21st, 22nd, um, Nightwing 84. Now, if you don't know about this Nightwing, current Nightwing run, again, it's Tom Taylor writing. Um, and this issue, um, instead of Bruno Redondo, Robbie Rodriguez is the artist. Um, I love Redondo's art, and that's been a cool highlight of this uh, new Nightwing run. And we've sort of paused, I think, after six-ish, six-ish issues from what, um, what's been going on with Dick Grayson in, um, in uh, uh, you know, in, in sort of a, its, its own story about trying to take this inheritance from um, Alfred and uh, revitalizing or, or, or kind of contending with the, the real um, overall wellness of Bloodhaven. Again, in one of these stories that's sort of like, as superheroes, can we do more than just beat up um, people from a certain class um, who are you know compelled into criminal activity? Can we think about um, fighting for bigger things? And I think Dick Grayson is the perfect candidate to do that. Anyway, it's been a, a great story. This issue is a little bit of a step aside to bring Dick back to um, Gotham because of a Fear State tie-in. Um, and yet I didn't regret it. <laughs> yet I didn't regret reading it. I liked it. Uh, by the way, folks, you don't know about the DC3 cast and all the fun things they're doing over there, including their new Patreon. I encourage you to check it out. And they give a good good rundown of the state of fear state and what's good and what's worth reading and what may not be. So check that out there. But I have enjoyed Nightwing and that's one of the things I read um, on, on that September 21st week. I also read The Death of Doctor Strange number one. And um, Jed McKay is one of the writers at Marvel who's just getting more, more and more opportunity, who I reluctantly am, you know, not, and f- compelled to read now. <laughs> For me, the death of Doctor Strange, I mean, any book that's the death of anybody uh, in the Marvel or DC universe is always somewhat suspect. But, um, but this one is drawn by Lee Garbett, whose art I've really liked in... Um, uh, in, uh, in, in the few image books um, that, that I've read, uh, as well as their work on Captain Marvel. And so Death of Doctor Strange is about the Sorcerer Supreme um, encountering death and then a surprise entrance from 
the Sorcerer Supreme from Doctor Strange, um, but of an earlier era, of a more Ditko era. And so, you know, Ditko era Doctor Strange is funky and, and drug-induced. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm really curious about us bringing that back um, in some sense in the modern-day MCU-inflected um, Marvel comics. So... Anyway, um, Lee Garbett art and Jed McKay's uh, 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 like Tom Taylor, one who, in spite of myself, I've enjoyed reading their stories. So um, I'm aboard for the death of Doctor Strange. But my favorite thing to read um, on September 22nd, 21st week was Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, number four, um, written by Tom King and drawn by someone who is fast rising as one of my favorite current artists, Bilkis Everly. Um, and Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow is, you know, it's funny. I, now I'm going to contradict the DC three guys. <laughs> Wait, was this them? I think this was them. When they read early issues of it, they had respect. Um, certainly Everly's art. Um, but I think one of them said maybe that this didn't feel like Supergirl, you know, it felt like a Tom King story that was just shoehorned, uh, you know, and, and I think the more that we read, especially the more that this really interesting story about this sort of, um, you know, Supergirl essentially gets, gets, um, you know, uh, what do you, what would you say, like, you know, pulled in essentially to this mission from this girl whose father is killed by this terrible creme character, <laughs> um, you know, um, brute of a of a of a character who winds up going on this long, you know, intergalactic journey to with this this orphan no her mother i think is still around anyway this um this alien girl seeking retribution and supergirl kara who you know took a little dip for 21st birthday to this planet where um she could drink herself silly um, <laughs> was i think one of them one of the dc3 guys said that this was very uncharacteristic of the character they know and yet as especially as the issues have gone on the way that um, th that Supergirl is characterized, especially through this in super fascinating narrator's POV and the, the kind of um, nobility in her simple uh, determination is, is, is Supergirl. It is Otto Binder Supergirl. You know, it is, it is sort of not Kal-El, but, but, but Kal-El in so many ways. You know, it's, it's kind of own kind of nobility. Um, and again, just the art alone eyelashes like Bilkis Evely understands that humans have eyelashes and does them so so awesome <laughs> but uh other things too about the art anyway I am in uh, I'm fully in for Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow actually that's been some of my catch-up reading is actually a lot of Tom King you know between Warsat, War Shark, <laughs> and Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow and I think some other things that Tom King is writing, uh, I've been reading, I've been catching up on those as well. Um, and then one other thing from that week, um, from the September 22nd week, is Black Hammer Visions number eight. And so I, I always tell myself, the more this Black Hammer verse extends, the less I am obligated to read all of it. And yet I can't help it. <laughs> Black Hammer Visions has been a series that's allowed various creators a chance to take a shot at various um, Black Hammer verse characters and to tell these one-shot stories. 
And um, <clears throat> as much as I like Scott Snyder a lot of times, it's actually David Rubin's art who um, graced the Franken, uh, what is it, Dr. Frankenstein miniseries or whatever his name, Sherlock Frankenstein, that's what it is. The Sherlock Frankenstein miniseries from the Black Hammer verse in the past. And when I saw Rubin's art combined with, um, you know, Lemire's world and story, I just, you know, I just thought, you know, Dean, Or Dean Ormston will always be my first association with Black Hammer, but something about Rubin's style fits so well with this universe. And um, so I read Black Hammer Visions number eight, which is about um, kind of a, a, a um, you know, the horseless rider and through time, you know, through, you know, 19th century and mid 20th century um, settings. So a nice one shot story. Scott Snyder's pretty good at those. Um, as well as large, sprawling stories about secret societies. <laughs> uh, those are things from that week. And then uh, also I read Good Luck number four from that week, which um, which continues the, the series at Boom Studios that Matthew Ehrman and uh, Steph, Stefano Simeon uh, have, been, have been doing. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, finally, this week, uh, September 28th and 29th, I have already read Robin number six, which is Joshua Williamson and Gleb Melnikov's um, turn on Robin and this tournament uh, of the League of, no, Island Lazarus something or other um, that has really stepped, it's been good, it's been really fun and it's really stepped up to now we're in full fight tournament Mortal Kombat stage. So um, <laughs> I just, it's it's just good good fun and uh really well drawn fun too so robin number six and um and then um i am getting back on a spider-man train i have uh let's see i think the last time i was regular with spider-man was when in spite of myself again i became a fan of dan slot's run on the title on the titles and since then i haven't really been that hooked into any Spider-Man run. Um, but um, now that Nick Spencer and Mark Bagley are coming off the book, although Bagley is still doing covers, I think, for uh, some of the foreseeing, for, for foreseeable future issues. Um, but starting from issue 75 or so, a legacy issue 875, 876, I think, Spider-Man is, is going to be three times a month again and going over to a team that includes, um, checking out, Zeb Wells, love, love Zeb Wells' Hellions series, uh, Kelly Thompson, aforementioned, I'm a huge fan, Saladin Ahmed, again, a huge fan, I'm a huge fan of them, uh, Pat, Pat, Patrick Gleason, uh, someone whose art I really like. Uh, anyway, a, an assemblage of great storytellers, I'm not even mentioning the artists which seem awesome too so i think it's maybe a good time to jump back on board spider-man i'm gonna become a regular collector reader of the three times a month amazing spider-man story that in this ultra big issue amazing spider-man 74 legacy issue 875 which is the wrap up the climax the conclusion to nick spencer's run there is extra stuff in the back and included in that is a story um, that is uh, a kind of preview of what's to come in this upcoming run. And I think that preview includes um, 
Ben Riley, which if you know Spider-Man lore, is the clone Spider-Man, um, Spider-Clone from all those clone stories, which is actually, again, another time in Spider-Man's long history when I have tuned out. <laughs> so I don't know how excited I am about more Ben Riley, and there's more clony stuff, and, and also... Um, Peter Parker's children, child stuff, which I, is that a May Parker? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of backstory for Spider-Man that I am, that are just big blind spots for me or blank spots for me. So I, I'll, I'll have to catch up. But anyway, I'm just excited to, to be excited about a Spider-Man run again. Um, and finally, Adventure Man number five, um, which is Matt Fraction and the Dodsons, uh, Clayton Coles, um, this, this mega-sized, these mega-sized issues, and, um, and I think, you know, I've heard Dodson, I think on, um, is it on, uh, Harper's podcast, on Sketched, maybe, talk about this project being really significant for, for Terry Dodson, and, and for the Dodson, um, Terry and Rachel Dodson as a, as a, as a couple, um, but just, it's a cool book, and I liked the first four issues a lot, and I'm excited to see it back, so that's what I picked up this week. Yeah, so that's some of the things, uh, obviously, along with a huge mass of other titles that I don't have time to name them all right now. But the things I'm excited about reading or currently reading. Um, so let me know what you're reading um, as well in the comments um, and also at the Substack. So I talked about it earlier in the episode, but I've been trying to be hard at work at maintaining the the um, comic sale of the Substack. There you can be a, a monthly subscriber and help make uh, this work possible, help for the costs of all this podcasting and comics writing stuff um, at $5 a month or annual at uh, 45 maybe, um, which is, which is, um, you know, not, not a, not a ton, but not cheap. And so that's the minimum that I was allowed to charge by Substack um, for which they take their 10% cut, but for which I get the benefit of feeling and knowing your support, which means a ton to me. Um, $40 for a year, I should say, and $5 for each month um, of, uh, of being a subscriber. And I'm holding out until there are 10 paid subscribers, and then the comic syllabus will go weekly um, as a podcast. And meanwhile, I'm trying to fill the Substack with articles uh, reviewing Substack comics and the stuff that's coming out there. Um, writing about the long read book, which is currently Why the Last Man, and um, and just writing about comics in the classroom and other things that are, um, you know, that are popping up in um, digital comics and physical comics and graphic novels. And sorry, that was my phone telling me it's time for bed. Um, so yeah, so that's what's been going on um, at the at uh, with the comic syllabus. I encourage you to go check it out, and obviously there's a link in the show notes to the comic syllabus substack. But I'll briefly mention that the things that I've been reading regularly there, um, one thing I'll mention that there's an article about right now at the comic syllabus newsletter is um, that they have figured out to some extent how they're gonna make these comics readable. Because right now, if you're a subscriber to any substacks, um, comics or not, you know that there are newsletters that pop up regularly in, in your inbox if you so choose. Or of course you can go to the, the site, you know, and, it, and it's a rolling feed 
but that's not the ideal way to consume comics. You know, serialized stories that in this case are coming out maybe four pages at a time or 10 pages at a time every other week. You know, it's kind of hard to, to read that way. Um, images that are embedded in an email, <laughs> searching your email inbox for the last chapter and then, you know, get your four pages here and then two weeks later, another four pages there. Um, and so the integration with uh, an app, an iOS or iPadOS app called Panels um, was something I was really interested in, in seeing how they would pull off and how it would work. So I did kind of a review of the Panels app and the way that um, they're piloting integration um, with James Tynan IV's um, and Michael Avon Oming's series Blue Book on Substack. And also Jeff Lemire has started to use it as well for his series Fish Flies. So I offer a little bit of a review of that Panels app and its current integration, the current state of its integration now uh, on the site as well. Um, and then I've been, as I said, reading some of these comics and, and really the three that have grabbed my attention, mostly because they exist. <laughs> and a lot of other creators and, and stuff that I've followed on Substack are have still yet to release the actual comics comics. Um, but three that I've been reading and that have been coming out fairly regularly are um, are titled Blue Book, Betty and Barney Hill by James Tynan and Michael Avon Oming and uh, Tudia Bidikar, um, which is about, uh, so far within the two chapters, which are about 10 pages each, of, you know, awesome kind of noirish Michael Avon Oming art, are about uh, a couple of, um, you know, who are returning from a vacation. They're, they live in New Hampshire, 1961. They are African-American, very involved in their community and with the NAACP and so on, as we learn from a narrator who has kind of like a Rod Serling-esque narrative voice. Um, but they're driving home middle of the night from vacation. Of course, it's a setup for trouble. There is a, what seems to be a UFO following them. And we've had two chapters now of this story, Blue Book, Betty and Barney Hill, I'm just really intrigued by where it's going. I know with, in, you know, these creators' hands, it's going to be full of twists and turns. I love Oming's art. Um, I've always enjoyed it. And I think it's got the that nourish quality that, um, that you might know from Powers. But it's going to have more, I think, of the funky, crazy stuff that you might know from other titles like Cave Carson. Um, and that is... Um, coming out regularly on the Empire of the Tiny Onion, which is James Tynan's, James Tynan the Fourth's um, Substack. Um, and meanwhile, if you're a Jeff Lemire fan, there's plenty out there to to enjoy and read. There's Primordial, there's Maze Book, there's all the ongoing stuff. Um, but there, uh, but um, Jeff Lemire's Substack has a, a series coming out called Fish Flies, written and drawn by Lemire. And it has a, it, you know, it starts off really with kind of an Essex County feel. It's set in kind of Ontario, um, and there are these bugs <laughs> called fish flies that, you know, will just descend upon a whole area for, you know, a certain short season. And so uh, at the beginning of this, we meet three kids who are just kind of hanging out, walking to a convenience store to get some snacks or for something like that. And they come upon a parking lot full of these fish flies. And on a dare, one of them walks barefoot on the fish flies into the convenience store. While doing so, though, they seem to be hit with some sort of a vision or something or premonition of, of um, some pretty creepy stuff. And then, then they get to the convenience store and lots of stuff happens. Um, it's very... 
um, familiar kind of storytelling if you're a Jeff Lemire fan, um, which means for me, I like it. And it's, um, it's weird. There's definitely some sprinkling of genre elements, maybe slightly horror or slightly something. Um, but it's also very kind of down home <laughs> in a way that Lemire's substack is called Tales from the Farm. And you really get the sense that this is a something close to his heart as well as, you know, beyond. So this is not Lemire's work for higher stuff. This is the, the Jeff Lemire stuff, which his substack has also been full of really cool um, behind the scenes things and, and, you know, old comics, as he calls it, from the vault um, that he's shared and for subscribers. So that's been a really worthwhile follow for me. And then finally, um, Chip Zdarsky's uh, substack, which is funny, no surprise, um, hilarious, um, but also has um, featured new installments of um, of Zdarsky's uh, comic with uh, Kagan McLeod, which is called Captara. The first issue came, I mean, the first volume, which should say the first art came out from Image a number of years back, but they're sort of returning to it and continuing it. Um, and I need to refinish. I need to finish rereading volume one of Captara, which subscribers sort of got for free. I mean, uh, you know, paid subscribers kind of got as part of the package um, because I don't know what's going on in these new chapters. I need to refresh my memory of the story. Um, but at the same time, Zarsky's also been releasing, uh, you know, four pages at a time, uh, a, a story called Public Domain, um, which he is writing and drawing. And it's really fun to, you know, Zdarsky first um, got to know through his antics at cons and his art on sex criminals with Matt Fraction. And then when, he, you know, Zdarsky began writing stuff, it was like, wow, you know, this guy can write. And then, um, and it has just been really good. Some of the Chip Zdarsky written books have been my, some of my favorite superhero comics the last five years. And so Public Domain is gets to have Zdarsky's writing combined with Zdarsky's art um, about a, um, I guess, a, a person who's, we, we, we find out, is, is, a, is a journalist um, and, you know, work in, in the city and goes out to the suburbs where we meet his dad. We find out, you know, and as he's leaving the city, there's all these posters of a superhero movie coming out. The superhero character, his name is Domain. And we find out that Domain is originally a comic book character and that actually this main character, I think it's Miles is his name, his dad is actually the creator of Domain. And Domain is now huge and about to become a big Hollywood blockbuster movie. And uh, he, as a reporter, is tasked, now we know from part three of this of this series, you know, first, you know, whatever, 15 pages, he is now assigned to cover this movie and to interview its star. Um, so I like the way i like i like where public domain is going um the summary the plot summary i just gave you doesn't really speak to its virtues so much as zadarsky's writing and drawing his pacing is very very ideal for kind of this you know a little bit at a time type of um story to follow so that is um maybe the the substack comic so far with this very small sample size i'm enjoying reading the most um so just want to put in that plug for Chip Zdarsky, and uh, <laughs> what is the name of his newsletter? I think it's called It's Chip Zdarsky's Newsletter, okay? Um, in very Zdarskyan fashion. Um, so yeah, so those are the the, the Substack comics that I've been following. Um, there's others, um, and others soon to come. There's a lot of world building going on with um, Jonathan Hickman and Mike Huddleston and Mike Del Mundo's 
uh, Substack, and then there's a lot of um, you know other stuff coming soon. Um, Sophie Campbell is one that I've really enjoyed, and and you know new work coming soon there, and um, just announced uh, or 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 just started, just launched, is Kelly Thompson's um, Substack in a subscription level. Um, which is called 1979 Semi-Finalist and has some upcoming comics with the aforementioned, um, uh, you know, um, <laughs> clicking over, Mattia de Ulis, I believe, yes, called The Cull, as well as an, a series called um, Black Cloak with Meredith McLaren, which I'm totally hyped about. Very, very excited. I love Kelly Thompson's work. Um, but I've also been... Yeah, following lots of other substacks. And you can find out more about that by following my substack at the comic syllabus, uh, at comicsyllabus.substack.com. So check it out. Um, you can subscribe for free and get a lot of the stuff. You can get, uh, you can become a paid supporter and help make more comic syllabus happen and also read even more stuff. So thank you. Um, thanks for hanging in with the podcast. And um, let's see you next, next, uh, next, next week. Yeah. All right. Take care. Let's keep reading.